And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruits and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. Hey, what's up, y'all? Welcome in. It is another Hold That Podcast podcast. Uh, I am your host, T-Bob Bear. We are brought to you by The Athletic, the best sports writing site in the entire country. It's not even close. No ads, no BS, just super talented writers putting out super great work. One of those talented writers is my co-host here on the pod, and that is Mr. Brody Miller, who covers uh, LSU for The Athletic. Brody, what's up, dude? Not too much, man. Just keep my head above water and the good old, uh, the good old coaching carousel of 2021, man. How are you? Uh, I'm doing well, doing well. Uh, so for those that don't know, it is um, Wednesday today. The offseason schedule for recordings a bit more haphazard since you know news kind of breaks when it does, and this could almost be categorized as a live reacts pod to. Uh, a couple of press conferences that we just watched. Uh, Ed Ogeron just addressed the media in order to introduce his two new offensive coaches in Jake Peets and DJ Mangus. Uh, we'll discuss what we thought about all of those press conferences. I think there's an interesting angles from o- Ogeron, Peets, and Mangus. Um, if, if, if you're listening today, LSU still does not have a defensive coordinator. Their number one target, a guy we talked about a lot in the last pod, Marcus Freeman, ends up choosing Notre Dame, which we'll get to. It makes a lot of sense, uh, meaning that LSU is still on the search. And there's some personnel news as well, as uh, Austin Deculus is the latest to announce that he is returning to the team. So the juice continues. Um, before we do anything, remember, if you're not signed up for The Athletic and you want to be uh, and you want to help us out because you like the pod, theathletic.com slash hold that podcast really helps us out. Also, uh, you can rate it and review it on iTunes, and that is great as well. Brody Miller, um, we just uh, finished the, the these press conferences, like I said. And before we get into Pete's and Mangus, um, how did you think or, or did anything jump out to you from Ogeron's opening statements uh, today? Well, um, I, I don't want to step on our later segment, but I think one bit, you know, pretty relevant thing he said was that he basically alluded to the idea that he has a defensive coordinator in mind and that he has to be patient with it, which would imply a, a guy in the NFL playoffs right now. Again, I think that's going to be a later segment, so I won't step on it, but that, that definitely is pretty high. But then also, I mean, I think one thing that that kind of jumped out to me was just that, how do I, you know, he, he talked about how Steve Ensminger – I'm trying to put this, but he basically said like, I could tell Steven Zminger was getting older and that it was just kind of time, but you know, and all that stuff. And it's like, I was just kind of surprised he, he said that because everything, you know, was kind of like Steve Ensminger retired on his own choosing. And by the way, I believe he did, but it was just kind of surprising to hear Ed Ogeron say that. Yeah. I, I, I think that, uh, interestingly enough, Brody, I feel like he echoed a lot of the sentiments that we've espoused here on the pod. Yeah, right? I mean, not not the least of which he almost straight up used the Bane line when he was talking about. The <laughs> yeah, should I say it? 
he he was like he was like you know the, these guys have grown up in it they haven't learned it they haven't adopted it they you know they've been molded by it, it was it was kind of wild how was close perfect, he yeah. was to using that exact line so philosophically i think that we were right in tune uh with lsu and where they were i i think what else is interesting is through the law of transitive properties, I feel like you had LSU almost, without really owning up, kind of owning up to some of the mistakes that they made in the coaching search last time yep. uh, in terms of what they valued then versus what they're valuing this time around. And I thought it was especially interesting, because I want to dive into Pete's next, but before we get there, I thought the defensive coordinator comments were especially interesting where it basically felt like he was using this as an opportunity to kind of critique everything that Bo Pelini wasn't, <laughs> right? Like when he was yeah. talking about connecting to the players, being able yep. to communicate to the players, having presence so that when you stand up and talk, the players listened. It seemed like it was like really a, you know, we need to fix all of the the the, the exact issues that we had last season. No, I, I think it's an incredible point. That word you use, presence, I think is a is definitely a big one because you know, for example, you know the Zach Garnett interview yesterday. I mean, uh, this is recording this on Wednesday, on Tuesday, and yeah, I mean, I think a big, I think there are a lot of reasons Zach Garnett is not LSU's next defensive coordinator. Things like buyout and all that, but I know a big part of it was they just weren't. The word I was told was they weren't wowed by his presence. You know, and I yeah. think I and and again, I I say that to say like I don't even think that means Zach. Garnett isn't a great DC and he won't be hired by Texas or whoever. Like he's a really good DC, but it's like almost worth mentioning, which is why I'm glad you brought that up that it's not that LSU just needs to hire a good defensive coordinator. They need their, they need something specific, you know, like Texas and Steve Sarkeesian or even Oregon, the position they're in, they're in a clean slate. You know what I mean? They can just hire who they think the best guy is, but, but LSU, they need something specific. They are responding to what went wrong with Bo Pelini. So words like presence and commanding a room. And like you're saying, it's dead on that. That is what I think is the under the unspoken part of this, that they need somebody who is a little more charismatic, who, you know, is going to win those guys over who also might is better a recruiter, you know, because for what it's worth, they're on two straight DCs who aren't exactly recruiters, you know? So I, I I found it very interesting that he brought that up and I'm glad you brought it up. Yeah. It was just, it was just a direct shot at, where they had misstepped last year. Uh, as far as Arnett goes, real quick, I keep seeing this idea that Arnett said no to LSU. Um, that is not the case. Yeah, yeah right? Okay, thank you. Well, Brody, okay, I should say two things. Brody's an actual journalist. Okay, so listen to what he is going to say, obviously over what I am going to say, uh, but I do not believe that. Now, Freeman, he told LSU no. He chose Notre Dame over LSU. I do not believe that was the case at all with Zach Arnett. Yeah, I mean, there are people who I was kind of told that, like, even before he went to Baton Rouge, that, like, he might have just been taking the interview to take the interview, you know, just to kind of, like, you know, you know, work those muscles, kind of get those things because he wants to be a head coach someday. So, like, to be clear, I don't know if Zach Garnett would have said yes. Like, I actually don't know the answer, but I do know that if LSU was going to offer, they were going to offer much more money than he was making at State. So, you know, like, I think he probably would have said yes. Yeah. But, yeah, but the key thing no is, No yeah, offer LSU, was made. You, you feel yeah, comfortable LSU saying did that. not go – did not tr- – try very hard to get Zach Arnett. Yes. Maybe if the buyout wasn't there, it would have been closer. You know, maybe, maybe they would have, but with a combination of his really rough buyout situation with, they just, honestly, they just didn't feel like a great fit. They just weren't, you know, like I said, it's the word. Wow. It's not that they didn't think he was good, but it's like probably wasn't what they need right now. So LSU did not 
make a run at Zach Arnett. They, they interviewed him and they, they didn't think it was a great fit. So yeah, I'm not saying Arnett would have said no or would have said yes, but I, I'm just saying LSU did not offer him. Yeah, exactly. Um, so one guy who did say yes, and it makes a lot of sense why, uh, was the new offensive coordinator, Jake Peets. And we just got eyes on Peets for the first time, uh, talked to him for the first time just about 20 minutes ago. And um, Birdie, I'm not going to lie. I I really enjoyed it. Like, we'll get to the DJ Mangus piece. I thought Mangus was, like, all right, right? It was very run-of-the-mill, very generic. I don't think anything really jumped out. Uh, Pete's had a natural sort of, I don't know if charisma is the right word. Maybe it's just, like, a likability or something. He, he just, there's a sincerity there that I felt like I really connected with. And then philosophically, I love that the first place that he went was establishing trust with the player and and I mean establishing trust on multiple levels because this is something that I've said my entire uh, radio career is like as a player the 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 main thing that you want from your coach and when I think about my favorite coaches the greatest coaches that I've ever had this has been true the main thing that you want is okay if I trust them and do what they are telling me to do even if I don't think that it makes sense to me if I trust them and do what they tell me to do uh can, can I do I truly believe that they are putting me in the best position to succeed and that's something that's only been accomplished maybe a couple times in my life I think coach Moffitt is one of the few that I had that feeling with even at LSU and so for Pete's to go into his philosophy and for that to kind of be the foundation upon which his philosophy is built. Um, I thought I, I, I found that to be very encouraging. No, I, I love that. I think I'm trying to think about this. Like there, I think there are coaches who are, you know, just like your boy wonder Wiz kids, right? There are some that rise up that way. And I think Joe Brady probably falls in that category. Then you have your like, you know, maybe they're your recruiter. Or they're like the hard ass. You know, like there's those kind of guys that are more of like a emotional successful coach. And then there are, I think, guys who are just planners, you know, who have a plan and think things deeply through and just like go into it with very well thought out notions of exactly how they want to do things. And I, and I think that is exactly the sense I got from from Jake Peets today is that everything he was asked, one, he was actually really glad to talk about it. And two, yeah, he had thought deeply about how when he got this job, how was he going to do it? You know, yeah. and I love that you led with that example, because, you know, I asked him, yeah, like what you know, you've been around a ton of first time play callers, McVeigh, Brady, uh, Todd Downing. I mean, so many throughout his career. And, you know, Mike Loxley, and I asked, like, what did you take from those guys? And the first thing, like you said, he said, it's not about the X's and O's those first few weeks. It is about connecting with those guys the first few weeks, making sure they know my wife and my kids and, like, knowing who I am. I think that was a, a big thing. And then you asked, we asked him about, you know, uh, personnel groupings and running backs and how many do you want on a field? And he, like, really thought about, you know, okay, you know, like, sometimes it's really just about getting the most out of the players. Sometimes you'll do two running backs and no tight ends. Sometimes two tight ends. Sometimes five wide ends. Like, I, I think he he's somebody who really thinks about, hey, when this day comes, this is how I'm going to do it. And every question and answer, he just had an, a well-articulated plan. So, I, And that is a Brady thing, too. That's a Sean McVay thing, I think, too, where it's like these guys – really think about so i mean joe brady's like catchphrase almost is like always have answers you know always have your answers before the test and and i think that's something i got from both pete's and mangus that they are guys who want to have the answers before the test they don't want to just go up there and kind of like be on the fly or anything like that 
Yeah, uh, something else that I loved is that um, I got this feeling, and, and let's be clear, like I, I have no idea if Pete's is going to be good or not. It's it's like we said, no. I like the philosophy behind the hire. Um, I'm just really judging him here just like based on this press conference and what I thought about him. I, I said that I thought the sincerity stood out. I, I, I really felt... Look, I think everybody can appreciate this, right? When somebody grinds at something for so long and then they finally get their big break, I I felt like you could tell uh, through this press conference that Pete, he feels like that is this moment for him. Yeah. Um, He's he's been moving all around, six kids. It's such a harsh, harsh lifestyle. As he later said, uh, he spent more time with Joe Brady this last year than probably his own wife. Which, uh, you know, credit to her. That means she's taking care of six a lot on her own, which is unreal, which is wild. And congratulations to her. That's badass. By the way, six that were born in the span of, I believe, seven years. What? So that's a true hurricane. What? Yeah, they were they were married in, I believe, 2012. Oh, my the- God. Pete, relax. Jesus, yeah. dude. Wow. Okay, well, um, that's wild. <laughs> that rattled you, wow. I don't know. I don't really know how to You're getting like hot flashes at the thought of it. You had two in like two and a half years, right? Yeah, and it's, yes, and it's entirely too much. <laughs> I don't want a third at all anytime soon, um, if I want a third at all. Uh, but whatever, everybody's different, right? And, and look, yeah. granted, now with the big break, he's in the financial position where he can certainly provide and 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 that'll make things easier to a point um no i i love that you put it that way too in the sense that he it's key like the number one thing we kind of credited him for last week on the show was that he is a guy who has been everywhere right he has gone to work for like eight different really respected coaches and keeps taking little bits and pieces from each one and i think that was all intentional right i think i mean some of it was yeah guys got fired and you switch jobs but a lot of it was he really over like again we're talking about has a plan thinks about things he was very intentional about i want to learn from the best make my plan build my philosophy but all of that was for when, like you said, when you get that chance. So these last eight years of probably hell on his life, you know, like you're saying, to some small extent. I mean, and I think that was all for finally getting somewhere like LSU, where one, I don't think he's in a rush to leave the second he gets a good chance. I really don't believe he is. And two, yeah, actually just like do it. So I think that's a really good point that this is he views this as his moment. And all of that past decade of going like eight jobs in nine years or something Oof. like that. Like or like eight different positions in nine years, but I think he was in seven different places. Like all of that was for this. That's a great point. And it also goes to, you know, people keep asking me my opinion on the hire. Do I think he'll be good? And I always say, I don't know if he'll be a good play caller. I flat out don't know. But I think I think we said this last week on the show is I do think there's a high floor just in the sense that, especially after talking to him today, I think there is a built in competence you know like i don't know if he's a great oc i don't know if he's a great play caller but i feel confident he's a good coach that he's a good leader that he's a good like guy who will run that room because i know he was a good quarterback coach and i know he was a good running back coach like i know he's a good football coach and i know he clearly has a plan and he clearly is a charismatic guy and all that so i know I would be very surprised if it's a disaster just because i believe he is inherently competent whether or not he's an exceptional play caller is a whole different thing yeah, and, and, and it's one of those things where, exactly, right? We don't know if he's a good play caller, so we just examine the core philosophies that he's espousing. And I started with the trust. I think that's such a great foundation. And then, obviously, he was talking about, like, customizing the attack uh, to his players. And, and, and that is something that 
I think it's very easily said. It's not always very easily executed on, but I think it's still good to hear nonetheless, uh, because it's something that maybe some more, I, I feel like sometime along the way, coaching went through a bit of a revolution where instead of my way or the highway, it became almost something a little more environmentally friendly, right? Like I'm going to use the natural contours of the earth to shape my highway. And then both things are successful, right? The landscape stays beautiful, uh, but you still build roads and you get to where you're going. So hearing that one of his core philosophies is shaping the offense based off of what he has and letting the personnel dictate the finer points of the scheme, um, executing on it is a whole nother matter. But just hearing that at least lets me know that like philosophically he's starting in a place well, I don't want to say right or wrong place because that is what it is. He's starting a place that I personally agree with. First off, I just got to say it. My favorite thing about doing this podcast with you, but I think we've been doing this for a full year and a half now, is that if I ever tune out for as much as six seconds to like read a text message <laughs> and I come back, there is a very solid chance I will no idea what you're talking about because I came in on like, so you're mapping out the highway and the landscape. And I'm like, I don't okay, okay, know. Okay. I, well, so, I got to so, catch so, up here. So but anyway. Okay, no, so real quick. So all I said is that like, Old no, no, no. Yo, I don't want you to re-explain it. Our listeners heard it. Old school coaches. No, because I think you'll like it. Old school coaches were my way or the highway, right? They're yes, boring absolutely. directly through that mountain. Everything else be damned. Environment be damned. New school coaches are a bit like these environmentally friendly architects, right? Who are <laughs> building the building yeah. around the tree. They're building the road with the natural contours of the land. Like they need, you need to use your personnel to shape the finer and final points of your scheme. No, I, I, I think that's a, a beautiful way to put it because yeah, I think Jake Peets is going into this job and same with DJ Mangus as, and actually it's the same way Joe Brady was. It was, who do we have? What, like, it's what are our assets? What can we do? And like the personnel answer he gave, which is maybe my favorite answer he gave all day because he was so like in depth and detailed about like what he thinks about personnel and things like that. And it's like, he will try to just see what's on the table and get the most out of it, which I, by the way, I think that's how a lot of coaches view it. I don't think that's revolutionary, but I do think, you know, Bo Pelini might not have thought of it that way. And, no. and I think sometimes no, Steve, Ensminger, Steve Ensminger, I think incredibly high of, as an OC. And I, I think I don't make any secret of that, but I don't think he's thinks that way necessarily. I don't think he's a talent out thinker. I think he's a scheme out thinker to some extent. So yeah. I, I think that's something that's going to be a positive for Pete's. Absolutely. So, um, I don't know. That's, I mean, that, that's really all I have to say on Pete's. Like I said, I think it's yeah. probably tough to say too much more now. Do you have anything else that jumped out at you from this first presser? You know, not necessarily. I, I think, uh, I think the, are we going to talk Mangus or no? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I think the thing with Mangus that's going to be so interesting, and I have a story coming out tomorrow morning on or Thursday morning, I should say, on kind of, hey, this guy was a hotshot 28-year-old youngest OC in the country at William & Mary and failed, quite frankly, and like, you know, but then went to school, right? Went to Joe Brady and LSU, went to the Panthers, and I think he he's a guy who I think, you know, shouldn't be underrated just because of the concept of he has called plays. He learned from it. He's been the hot shot, but he's also been the grunt in the in the analyst room, just kind of doing that kind of stuff. And I, I got that sense from all this. You know what I mean? I, I don't think he's 
I'm trying to think what I'm trying to put my words together. Like, I don't think he's Jake Peeps yet. You know what I mean? I don't think he has like this immaculate plan yet, but everything about DJ Mangus is he is a really bright dude. He's a really level headed dude is the number one thing people say about him. And I think he's somebody that this could be a really perfect marriage between him and Pete's because I think he is kind of the really bright, you know, he might be a bit more of the boy wonder compared to, you know, compared to Pete's being more of the planner. So I thought it was intriguing that off the bat, Pete's was talking about them as a package deal, right? Yes. I know that some people were worried about maybe like a bit of a power struggle. It is obvious this is not that. They came in as a tag team. And as you're you're laying it out, I'm starting to see the kind of idea behind it, right? Mangus maybe is that cutting-edge scheme master, but I didn't get the same feeling in his presser like I did from Pete's in terms of, like you said, that kind of coaching leadership, that ability to uh, win guys over to your side. And that's not to say Mangus is like unlikable or anything like that. He's absolutely not. But it's just that Pete's, you can get the idea that he has been in so many different rooms that he feels very confident in his ability to connect with whoever he needs to connect with. So you kind of have the Mangus scheme and maybe leading theory combined with Pete's ability to then communicate that theory and, and, and get players to buy in and all of a sudden that becomes a marriage where like any like any marriage or anything any other partnership in life ideally uh you both kind of mask each other's weaknesses while supporting each other's strengths yeah and I, i'm glad you said that also i feel like that's my catchphrase this podcast i'm sorry but you're making a lot of great points this pod but uh yeah i think he because he did lead with that and he was kind of i, I got a huge sense from pete's and this gonna i hate when i get overly corny but like i think he very much like led his press conference being like let's talk about dj mangus you know and i think he hmm, he actually thinks about things like i'm gonna like dj mangus is under my wing and i'm gonna help him develop you know and i know that is a corny way of talking about things but i actually very much have heard that and i get that sense from that those two press conferences that he views them as a team and he views them as like and he picked his brain on on coming to lsu i think he said that and and i think there is that sense of like dj mangus knows what he needs and he needs pete's and he needs lsu and he needs ogeron and i think pete's knows what he needs and he needs he needs mangus you know and i think that is a a really healthy marriage because as much as ensminger and brady were actually like one of the best marriages in lsu history and worked unbelievably most of the time that won't you know what i mean like that was yeah, yeah it was crazy it was, an it, L- it was it the was perfect storm element that we personalities ended up fitting like a puzzle piece but most of the time that won't and even if it was ensminger 15 years ago it might not have you know what i mean yeah so like i i think that's huge and i actually think this one is a very from the bat cohesive marriage and it's also a they're in this together it wasn't ensminger was hired then you add jerry solvener then you add joe brady or then you add scott linehan this was they are hired together they are in this together and i think that is a uh a just better foundation to go forward. No doubt. Um, okay, as far as Mangus goes, like I said, um, I don't know, Brody. I I, I don't know that anything... <laughs> you don't have to say too much. Yeah, yeah I was about to say, I, I don't know that anything terribly jumped out at me, right? We kind of know Mangus' story. Um, he, he did have some interesting answers about his time at William & Mary and how, like, you know, uh, a failure can be the greatest teacher. And I think that's something hey, that really a lot of us. Fun. Yeah, 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 exactly. Right. I think that's a lot of and that's something that a lot of people can appreciate. What? So what did you take away from Mangus? You, you, I think you have more insight on DJ Mangus than I do. No, no, I think we already discussed it, to be honest. I mean, I think, yeah, I got a sense of a guy who 
is still, you know, a little wet behind the ears in some ways, and but and is very, you know, understands. It's kind of a different thing, right? I think pizza is like, I have been working my whole life for this moment, yeah. and this is my chance. While Mangus, it's a little more like, all right, I'm here. Now I got to prove, like, you know, there's just a different dynamic there. But no, I, I think Mangus is sharp. I think Mangus is really smart. I think, you know, I think a lot of the things I've really l- learned about DJ over the last, you know, few years is that DJ one has like, a holy crap memory. It's something multiple people brought up to me is that he's like a freaky memory. Ooh, and, you know, uh, I talked to one of his old. What's that? He'd be a good chess player. Yeah, absolutely. Let's keep bringing. Let's make chess a weekly thing we discuss. I'm trying. And, you know, I was talking to Kevin Rogers, who is uh, who was William and Mary OC, who helped, you know, develop Brady and Mangus and several others, but also is a guy who's been like a Vikings OC. He's been like a long time NFL and college guy. And he's currently on the Brown staff as an analyst. And, you know, he said, he's like, you know what I'm thinking about now? And he's like, I actually see an absurd amount of similarities between Kevin Stefanski, who I work for now, and DJ Mangus, just in the sense that they are both these guys that are just like weirdly even keeled. And, you know, they are just two guys who don't really overreact to anything, you know, like, and, and he even said, he's like, Joe Brady isn't quite like that. Like Joe Brady's a little more of like a talkative, outgoing, like, you know, confident guy. While I think DJ's more of a, I mean, he talks, don't get me wrong, but he's a little quieter. You know, he kind of sits and thinks and analyzes things. So I think that's interesting. And also, you know, and the story will be out tomorrow, but a huge part of his, his William and Mary failure actually was one, they just flat out didn't have a quarterback. So you start there, but, but two, he was paired with a legendary coach, but a very veteran coach in Jimmy Laycock, who is an offensive guy himself. And, you know, I think Laycock kind of struggled to to hand him the reins yeah. and just be like, do your thing. I think he kind of put himself in there a little bit, made things harder for DJ. I think, you know, I think that there were like terminology issues where like Mangus wanted to run his West Coasty kind of, you know, terminology and, Mang- and Laycock didn't want that. So I don't think like we should also even judge Mangus too hard by William Mary because I think he was kind of put in a tough situation. And I don't know if our listeners really came here for a deep dive on the past game coordinators, William Mary days. But but anyway, yeah, I just think that's. An uh, interesting I mean, look, if you're listening to the Hold That Podcast podcast, chances are you're obsessed with LSU football. So I kind of feel like that's exactly what you came to the pod for, <laughs> is, is for just that. Uh, by the way, Brody does have a uh, an excellent article up right now um, from Lincoln in Louisiana, New LSU OC, Jake Pete's winding football journey. That's from a few days ago. Wait, did you see you have a Mangus article up right now? I'm not seeing it no, in the LSU section. It's coming up tomorrow. So okay, cool. Okay. Oh, a little tease, if yeah. you will. Again, um, theathletic.com slash hold that podcast for a great sign-up deal. Are you ready to talk defensive coordinator for a couple That minutes? is what I came here for. It's probably what our listeners came here for. Okay. Um, so uh, Marcus Freeman, who we uh, – what's the word I'm looking for? We waxed rhapsodic about last week, right? Um, a, a, the, the most sought-after DC in the offseason for sure. Uh, we laid out the three options last week. Stay at Cincinnati, go to LSU, go to Notre Dame. We laid out the pros and cons of each, and ultimately he goes to Notre Dame. And it makes too much sense, right? Not only does he have family ties geographically in the era area, um, I'm sure the money is similar, though, to be honest. I haven't done the research on the big disparities between yeah. what money was or was not offered. Uh, but to me, one of the main reasons, the things that I keep going back to, is he wants to be a head coach. And so to keep his juice going, he has to put up great numbers. And although LSU, you would have gotten to coach some guys like Stingley and Ricks that you probably don't have at a Notre Dame, you still got guys that are damn close and you can put up numbers 
way, 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 way easier at Notre Dame than you can dealing with this SEC West that is just more and more looking like a murderer's row of offensive talent. Yeah, I think you, with Marcus Freeman, I think you have to lead with the family angle of it. That's just a fact. It was no matter what, from the very start, always going to be very difficult to pry him from the Midwest. And I think LSU probably was as close as anyone ever could have gotten. And I mean, it, well, we, we can make fun of that all we want, but a lot of people reported that he was coming to LSU, which was incorrect, but still like it was true that it, they felt really good. You know, they thought they kind of had it and, but they always knew it was going to be tough to bring, you know, his family down here, six kids, his wife, every one of them's from the Midwest. And at the end of the day, I think his family is what led to him staying, but you, the head coach thing is a huge piece of context in the sense that, yeah, I mean, by going first off, like you said, the safety of Notre Dame. I don't want to make it sound too safe. They do play a tough schedule and all they those play things, a tough but schedule, like, but it's not yeah. it's not facing that Alabama offense every year. Yes, and now exactly. Lane Kiffin and so, yeah, yeah, you have the safety part of it, of course. But I also think there's something to the notion of whatever job he took between these two, three options, whatever. I think it's pretty safe to say it was always going to be by design a shortstop, right? That like if he succeeds, he's going to be a head coach soon. Well, that's also where I think the family thing might come in a little bit where it's like if you're going to take a shortstop, are you really going to go? That's when you're going to move your family down to Louisiana and mm, the South and like point. for one year or two years. And I'm not saying I've even heard this. This is me making my own theories, but I believe it. And that, yeah, I mean, are you really, that's when you're going to make this big move for your family just to be a short-term thing while going to Notre Dame? I mean, it's like, yeah, it's not a big move. It's close. You know, he's actually teaming up with one of his best friends and one of his longtime coaches, a defensive back. You know, I think there's just a lot of reasons where it makes sense. So LSU made it close. And by the way, you mentioned money. I had heard, you know, a little under two mil was kind of the LSU offer, you know, like in maybe 1.8 in that range. While Notre Dame, I don't, Notre Dame is much more private about numbers, but, you know, talking to some colleagues kind of got the sense that originally theirs is probably usually in like the 1.5 or a little more range. And then we know that Brian Kelly, you know, had a, one last conversation with Freeman after his interview with LSU. Maybe he got it a little closer, but I do not think Notre Dame offered more money than LSU. I think that yeah. should be clear. So I don't think this was a money thing or anything like that. I think it was family. And yeah, I think it was a little bit of, like you said, you know, pragmatism. And I, I don't think you can blame Marcus Freeman. But now the fascinating thing is Ed Ogeron made, I mean, I actually, I have to confess this <laughs> since it's late in five. I wrote an entire, because I thought he was coming to LSU. I wrote an entire column Friday afternoon Ooh. that was ready to publish. It was in oh. the system that was basically like talking about Ed Ogeron said on your radio show, which I've never heard a coach even blatantly come close to being like, these are our targets. These are who we want. And we're going to try to get him. And yeah, he didn't say the name. So we all knew what he was saying. And it was a whole call about how like Ed Ogeron, despite all the issues of this year, everything's kind of going exactly how we'd hoped these last three weeks with players coming back. He would hit all of his coaches if he got Freeman. And it was just kind of like, wow, he did it. You know, he kind of pulled this off. So it's funny that Colin will never see the light of day. But the reason I bring that wow. up is, yeah, he made it's clear like, it's who like, he wanted. It's like, one, it's, it's like one of those championship t-shirts that ends up getting sent <laughs> to communities. The only bummer is it's a pretty generic like, column, but still. <laughs> halfway across the world. It's just, it, it's forever. Yeah, exists. we're actually going to send it. It's like Africa, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, it exists uh, in an alternate universe. Oh, that's wild. They're going to be really disappointed. <laughs> Um, anyway, yeah, so but now the, the reason I brought that up is, yeah, it was clear who he wanted. Like, like, these are the guys. And now 
I believe they wanted Barry Odom too, for what I've heard. And I think there was some conversation there, but I don't think Brady, Barry Odom's leaving right now, quite frankly. he's just I, It's not like an LSU thing. I think he's just not leaving Arkansas right now, and I don't think he wants to move his family. So after those two, I think it's a little bit of you take a step back. If you're not getting your home run, you take a step back, you take your time a little more because now the margins are different. Like even if you miss on a guy like – you're not missing on a home run. So we've like, you know what I mean? Like the margin of like one guy to the next might not be that drastic. So I think you take your time a little bit more, you know, obviously they went down the road with Zach Garnett, but again, didn't feel like that was the right guy. So they moved on. So I think, uh, I think now you have to take time. And of course, what we said, we opened the show with, and I'm sorry, I've been going on for a while, but Ed Ogeron has kind of insinuated he has his guy and that he doesn't know if he's going to get him. He needs to be patient. And obviously we assume that means NFL playoff coach right now. But that's going to be interesting because they, if if you're patient and you miss, then it gets really tough. Yeah, and and I, I guess so. He he said when we talked to him on the radio the other day, it was either this week or last week that some of the top remaining targets that they have are still coaching right now. Um, I took that to either mean NFL playoff or potentially an Alabama coach. Obviously, like Charlie Strong is an analyst over there. And um, at Alabama, and I mean, I don't know. There's all this like Pete Golding smoke. Do you, I mean? Do you know anything about that? It just seems like a name that like, uh, who of course is the Alabama defensive coordinator right now. But it seems yeah, like a wow. name that's kind of popping up. What have you heard anything there? That, I'm gonna be honest with you. I have not heard that smoke or, or seen well, well, that smoke. Well, not not man. legitimate that would smoke. That would be big. No, no, like no people that I think are like that I would consider actual sources. I just keep seeing it crop up. In uh, chat rooms or whatever on the show, like so, take it's, it's probably not worth anything. Uh, and now a name that is worth something because it's been floating around since the very beginning. He's a yeah. dude that commands a ton of respect from everybody who knows him. Like 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 all all the football guys speak very highly of him. Um, and his resume is pretty damn good in terms of the results that he's gotten. That's Ryan Nielsen. The yeah. Saints defensive line coach. Now, where that is interesting, obviously he's a D line coach. I don't know uh, about Nielsen's full background. I don't think he's ever been a full on defensive coordinator, but he has. When you look at how the Saints D line has grown the last few years, and you know it's Trey Hendrickson being second in the league in sacks, and Anyamata and Rankins having success up the middle. I mean, the development of Anyamata has been fantastic. She was drafted as a project. And then even getting guys like Cam Jordan to listen to him. I mean, I know we talked about Nielsen before, but it seems like Nielsen's name may be moving back to the fore of the uh, defensive conversation. Yeah, it's funny, right? Nielsen was literally the first name back in December I brought up as a possibility of yeah. defensive coordinator. But I said then I didn't think it would happen. Like, I didn't think, you know, for a lot of different reasons, I didn't think it would happen. And now it is kind of becoming that, like, it's definitely the message board name right now. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not even saying there's no validity to it. There might be validity to it. It's it's all very tricky right now. They're trying to be hush-hush about things. But it's just always it's always fun to point out, like, he is the top message board name right now and the, the main theory leader. And, yeah, I mean, it makes a lot of sense, right? He is a guy who played Fred Ogeron at USC, then he coached for him at Ole Miss, so they have a ton of background together. He's a guy who is a very well-respected recruiter, you know, from his time at Ole Miss, or even he was the recruiting coordinator at NC State for kind of some of their breakout and developed a lot of that talent. You know, Bradley Chubb, of course, is the big name. And what like, and so, you know, having a really strong NFL background, he's a guy who people almost wonder if he's going to be an NFL DC soon. So I think there's the respect there that he's, like, ready 
And then, you know, he has recruiting background. He has a lot of Ogeron background. There's a ton of reasons it would be a no brainer. And also, again, not to like stick to this, but like it also fits his huge movement this offseason of like young guys who can connect more, you know, like that, that is a huge theme this offseason for them. Side note, just realized he's from Simi Valley, California, where I lived for three years. So that's uh, when I was a kid. So that's fun. I um, just realized that this cat was at Ole Miss when I went to a high school football camp there with O. That Let's was go. the most intense high school football camp I've ever been a part of. But this guy was awesome. He was <laughs> hilarious. I was a high school kid. I thought he was like so cool. He was like so good looking and kind of football Ooh. cocky. Uh, wow, that's wild. Okay, so I guess I actually know Ryan Nielsen, and I never quite realized that I knew Ryan Nielsen. Football's a funny game sometimes. <laughs> um, wow. But yeah, so I think Nielsen would be – a home run higher. I just think it's a tough one to land. And also like, this is again, me talking completely out of my ass, but like how much do you wonder if like, obviously there's the whole history of like saints never going for LSU players and maybe some like tensions there in the two thousands and stuff. And then like you take Joe Brady. And then if you actually take Ryan Nielsen, like, do you think that will actually lead to a bit of like another, uh, a schism part two? Uh, Oh, Oh man. Um, Hmm. I'm not even somebody who's very privy to the background of like why there was like a whole thing with that. I don't even really know, but I'm well, just throwing it know, out there. So I don't even know the truth. Like I, you're, you're right. I, I don't really know if there ever was a schism either. Right. I think a lot of times they're not taking players cause they just, whatever they, they just, it, it didn't line up here or there. Uh, I, I, I don't think they had the strongest relationship in the miles era. I think where they definitely becomes, have a good one now. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. I mean, Ed Ogeron's been on Sean Payton's staff. He was a defensive line coach for the New Orleans Saints. Uh, what year was it? Was it 2010? 2010, I believe. Um, but yeah, he was a defensive line coach for the New Orleans Saints before. So like they, they, they've worked together so much in the past. And, and I know that Peyton was, I mean, he was a little salty, right? When they took Brady? Yes, he was He was salty, yeah. He was salty, but I do feel like by year's end, he kind of... Not problem salty, but yeah. Yeah, like by year's end, he kind of got over it a bit. So, hmm. I mean, look, it is, <laughs> anyway, I'm just throwing out fun theories. I mean, yeah, I was, no, I don't no. Need- I mean, I'm trying to think about it. I, I look, I, I think Sean Payton's the ultimate competitor. So, you know, I, I don't think he's just going to be like, oh, sure. Take this great coach who's helped make my D line into the one of the best in the entire NFL. Uh, but I, I think he also just knows that it's the business and it is what it is. And again, like we always talk about, if your coaches are getting hired away, that means you made a good hire. And it sucks that you have to go do it again, but you're going to have to do it again because that's just the business. Yeah. By the way, man, how fun is the rivalry going to be if Joe Brady actually takes the Falcons, if he gets the Falcons job, which kind of seems like he's a possible front runner for right wow. now. And Fontenot goes wow. to the Saints, and I mean, to the Falcons and the Saints. Like we know Sean Payton already with getting petty with Brady in the Carolina rivalry. How fun is it going to be if he's the head coach of Atlanta? Like give me the sass. That's so wild, dude. I mean, so many LSU Saints fans are going to be at like such an odd emotional crossroads watching the man who, uh, you know, had a key role in bringing them a national championship now lead their most hated rival back into the Superdome. Um, mm, the incestuous nature of football can lead to some very, very fun interactions at times. Uh, Brody, anything more on the defensive coordinator search before we close up with our final little tidbit? Not particularly, no. 
Okay, so uh, the final tidbit of today, the only bit of news we haven't talked about since last pod. Uh, last pod, Ed Ingram had just announced that he was coming back. The two tackles, Austin Deculus and Dare Rosenthal, were still up in the air. Well, it looks like uh, Austin Deculus has announced that he is coming back for a fifth year of football. And, and it's an odd fifth year because it's not like he was redshirted, right? Um, he yeah. has been, this will be his fifth year straight of playing in college football games. Uh, a huge get for LSU, in my opinion. Not because Deculus is the most dominant player, but he's a good college football tackle. And quite frankly, I don't know that LSU has another one of those on this roster outside of him and Dare. Uh, Cam Wire, maybe. Yeah, but Cam obviously, Wire. like, depth, depth helps uh, all the time. The more depth you have, the better. And, and just from, like, a leadership and experience standpoint, he has the most starts on this LSU team. So it's not like you're getting like a first rounder back, but you're getting a damn solid uh, college tackle back at a time when you need as much consistency and depth on that offensive line as you can get. Yeah, and even to go further, it's not even about Deculus himself, like you're saying. It's the idea that, especially if Dan Rosenthal comes back, it's not what Deculus does. It's the idea of that continuity of being like, oh, crap, you have all of them back. You know, it's, I mean, we talked in, I think, at length about this last week, but just, it's not even just about the literal talent. It's the sum of the talent, and that, that talent grows exponentially when they've been together on an O line for, you know, X amount of starts. That's huge. So, yeah. and also like, and then that also like breeds competition a little. And now it's like, all right, you have a ton of continuity and maybe someone can really compete with Jason Hines for that right guard job. You know, maybe someone beats him out on there or, or even, you know, any other spot in that offensive line. Did but I think that's hear, just a real, uh, Ogeron, t- did you hear his sound clip on Anthony Bradford on my show? I did not. I missed it. Tell me. Um, he said that Anthony Bradford showed back up uh, as a very slim 355, saying that he he's guessing that he weighed around 370-something. Yeah. Left. No, that's big because – especially because Ogeron, I mean, as listeners know, like he openly said Bradford kind of like lost his stock. Like he, yeah. he is flat out said after – Bradford was like the name main hyped lineman in 2019 as the freshman, then became a guy who flat out said lost his stock. So that's actually – Huge to hear, yeah, because Bradford is should be better than Jason Hines. Yes. So now, now you can start getting some competition mixed with experience. I think that's the big thing. And obviously, you know, as of now, the general feedback is that they're pretty optimistic on Dare Rosenthal coming back. Don't think he has a lot of draft stock right now. So all of a sudden, Maui Rosenthal, as we know, has just massive upside. So now coming back with a full year of starting or or a semi full year, I mean, that, yeah, the the possibilities are kind of endless here because obviously the comparison point is always going to be 2018 to 2019. Where 2018, LSU had the worst line in the country, brought pretty much everyone back, and then had you know won the Joe Moore Award in 2019. So I I, I do think that's important. Yeah, and, and and I did like if we're going back to a DJ Mangus answer, I did like how he was. Um Oh, yeah. I'm talking about how uh, when you were talking about passing game success, that it starts with your protection theory and your protection plan. And it was something that got LSU into trouble last year at times. Uh, They felt like they got manipulated offensively in terms of their protection rules versus the looks that the defense were giving them to kind of bait them into things. Um, So it's huge getting Deculus back. And it just continues to kind of run of good news that LSU fans have been treated to after a long, long uh, season of bad news. Uh, the juice continues, if you will. Uh, Brody, anything else before we uh, sign off today? Um, you know, I want you to send me your recipe for your uh, brown butter chocolate chip cookies that yeah. you just made. It's very good. And 
Um, I got back on the Peloton yesterday, so that was a big win. Some 2021, man, going to be a big year. So I'm going to compete with you, catch up to your output, you know, even catch up with Cole Kublik soon. <laughs> I'm going to be elite soon. Uh, uh, good so, luck yeah. catching up with my output. It's impossible to catch up with Cole's. Um, he literally just cranks it up to 100 I'm, and just rides. I'm aware, but time. I am a physical specimen. And uh, I know. Look, look. I have heard. I've talked to coaches from Indiana high school football. I've heard Jersey, about. Come on. Uh, excuse me. I've talked to coaches in Jersey high school football, and I've heard about the offensive tackle legend that was Brody Miller. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot of people talking, um, feel free to add me on there. Check my numbers. Um, I'm, I'm coming for you. That's all I'm saying. You know, we're coming. Uh, were you ever chubby back in the day? I was definitely chubby at different times. There was oh different times God. I was fit as hell. And there were certain times I was a little chunker. Yeah. I want to see, I want to see the fattest Brody that is on record. Uh, Honestly, I, mean, I think it's college. I think the booze pounds <laughs> in college were actually my my overall chubbiest. Oh man, uh, yeah. Well, that was definitely my fattest. Wait, three eighteen one time. Um, That's a little different. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. Then my actual fattest was probably just like earlier this year uh, when I was going through my long hair, long beard stage. Uh, which, yeah. is now, which is now over. I've, 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 I'm a reformed human being. That was back you. when you're, you know, that's a big phase where it's kind of like, you know, we're just supporting businesses. That's why we're ordering so much takeout. Yes. We want to support local during the yes. pandemic. That's why I'm eating five Felipe's burritos this exactly. week. Exactly. Oh, Felipe's very good. Felipe's pretty good. Uh, Craving I right now. I like uh, Juan's flying burrito. Maybe better. Yeah, Juan's is elite. Yeah. Uh, the shrimp, that the actual flying, the shrimp, the, I mean, shrimp in a burrito's uh, great little. New Orleans twist, just like shrimp and like anything is. Even though I had a shrimp spaghetti the other day and I didn't love it. Give me a meatball. I don't need the shrimp in my spaghetti. I but, love doing that actually, but I get it. But I, I love shrimp in my spaghetti. Yeah, you would because you're like, look how New Orleans I am, man. I like. I actually was taught now. that my mom made that in Jersey. Actually, I never oh, wow. even. I showed it to Claire, the New Orleanian. She's like, people can put shrimp and spaghetti oh. so i don't even think that's louisiana okay well look i stand corrected fuck you Brody. <laughs> uh all right everybody have a great Bye. day uh huge thank you to everyone who listens again like share everything review it and um yeah we'll be back with more hold that podcast podcast mm-hmm.